The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Be seated. If you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to John's first letter, we're continuing there as we've been going through for a couple of months now through the book of First John, verse by verse, and seeing what the Lord is speaking to us uh, in this passage. And let me go ahead and get it out of the way this morning before we do that. Uh, just so none of you are sitting and wondering, this is why you use hold-down clamps on a drill press, so that you don't almost take the end of your finger off. So now I've got that out of the way, and you won't have to wonder why I have this purple wrap on my uh, finger. So, uh, But thank the Lord I didn't lose it. So uh, we're in First John, beginning in verse 19 of chapter 3 this morning. And let me kind of introduce the passage with with this uh, fact that we all know that that children their their most necessary and basic need in in life to uh, come to maturity as an adult and to be a secure functioning producing uh, adult we we know without question that the basic need that every child needs to have is to know that by their parents they have the the greatest of love and affection to them by their parents children need to know that their their parents love them they need to know that their parents are there for them they need to know that their parents are their greatest encouragers as well as those who discipline them in love right and studies tell us and show us clearly that most of those who are who wind up in the criminal justice system, et cetera, from crimes that are violated, most often, in most cases, there's an instance in that child's life where they had some either traumatic event or just through a lifestyle that they knew that their parents did not love them. They did not um, think of them in their best interest, and they felt rejected and isolated from their parents parents. Well, John's going to draw the parallel for us in this passage that spiritually, you and I, as he's already stated in 1 John, that now we are children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has for us that we would be called the children of God. And God so desires that we know without any reservation, without any question, that God loves us. How many of you know that God loves you? That we be assured in that. But if you're like me, there are some days and often many days that, that there is that nagging conscience that I have because it knows everything that I do. It knows everything that I think. There's that nagging conscience that I have that when I come before the Lord, that conscience is there reminding me of those ways that I have fallen short of God's righteousness. Is anybody else with me? And, and that conscience begins to remind me of those things maybe that I have said, those things that maybe I have done, and whether I said them or didn't do them, the thoughts of my heart are there, and that conscience wants to call me into question and say, what right do you have to come before the Father? Anybody ever felt that way? I mean, I mean, who are you? Look what you just said yesterday, or, or look what you thought yesterday, or look what you did yesterday. And there's a question that comes into my mind. How could God ever love me because I am so stinking wretched? And so are the rest of us. Amen? 
Well, John's speaking of that this morning. You remember, he's just come off of that, that a real evidence in our lives that we are indeed born again, that we are Christ followers, that there's been a transformation that has taken place in our life, that we love one another. We talked about that kind of love and the kind of love that he is expressing that we should have for one another is that unconditional love. And so now he's reassuring us beginning in verse 19, if you'll follow along with me and read through verse 24, he says this, by this, and the by this here is by this love that we have for one another. By this love that we have for one another, uh, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. In other words, where there's that evidence of love in our lives towards others and especially those who are the unlovable. You know who I'm talking about, right? That especially in those situations, by, by, by us knowing that we love them and that we exercise that not only in our minds, but indeed, it reassures us, reassures our heart or our conscience before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you that, Father, you have, um, Lord, not only revealed to us who you are, but God, your word is real honest with us. And Lord, it reveals to us who we are, Lord, apart from you, but God, it also reveals who we are in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit this morning, uh, Lord, would would speak to our hearts through the words, and God, whatever response that we as individuals need to make, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, by his grace, would give us that ability to make that response and act on it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in context, what John is talking about is that scenario when we come before the Father in prayer, or we approach him. And he says that if, if we come before him and we approach him and, and we know that we are living out and following in that love, then, then our hearts reassure that we're his. But there are times where we come before him and we have that thing that God has given to every one of us, and that is a conscience. God has given that to every human being. And you might phrase it this way, that he has, he has written his law on the heart of every human being, that, that we know within us, the one who's apart from God, who has not come to Christ, and the one who has come to Christ, we all have a conscience. And it's that conscience that, if you will, it's the, it's the northern mark. It's the magnet that brings the, 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 the compass to the north. It tells us whether or not we are in the right or we are in the wrong. And we all have that. But there are those times that we come before the Lord in prayer and our conscience goes beyond 
having the, the influence of the Holy Spirit to show us in our hearts and our lives where we are wrong. And our conscience does not allow us or does not bring us into the grace and the forgiveness of Christ, but we have a tendency to allow our heart or our conscience condemn us. We find in Scripture there are basically three areas that, that work on our conscience that, that can bring condemnation or it can bring repentance and a turning. Number one is, is there are others who might bring accusation or charge against us. Have you ever had anybody bring an accusation or a charge against you? And so there's that condemning factor that comes in that where there are others who, who might bring condemnation on us. The second area that we know very well through Scripture that, that brings condemnation towards us is Satan, the enemy uh, himself. Revelation describes him in chapter 12 as the one who stands before the throne daily, every day, day and night, accusing the brethren. Do you realize that we have an advocate that stands before the throne every single day bringing accusations and charges against us? But thank God we have Jesus Christ, who John has described, that he is our advocate pleading our case before the Father. Amen? Even though we are guilty, he knows that we are guilty. There's no question about the guilt, but Jesus, as our advocate, stands before the Father and says, God, Father, he's mine. I've paid the price and the penalty for his, and now he has been set free, forgiven, and released from the condemnation that the enemy. You see, the Bible tells us that there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there's that act of condemnation that comes, and sometimes it comes from others, sometimes it comes from the enemy, and sometimes it comes from our very selves. Amen? You see, it's a gift that God has given to us, that factor of conscience. Because without that conscience, we would not know right from wrong. And it's a result of the conscience that brought us to the place that we were able to receive the grace of God in Christ when we recognize that we stand before Him guilty because the conscience has, has made us know that. And by that, we're able to receive Christ and His forgiveness of our sins. And the Bible teaches that we all have a conscience. Uh, you remember Jiminy Cricket, right? Uh, he said, let your conscience be your guide. But can I say, sometimes that can be wrong, right? Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, speaking of the Gentiles, he said, they, the Gentiles, show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse them or even excuse them. So every single one of us have been given a conscience. And the Holy Spirit works with our conscience and the Word of God. And the beautiful thing for us as believers is that we have the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin and affirms what our conscience is telling us, right? Is everybody grateful for the Holy Spirit of God and His conviction of sin in our lives? But, but I love this. Because at the same time where He convicts us of our sin, the other work of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth and convince us at the same time time of the grace and mercies and the love of the Father. Isn't that good? 
You see, he, he, he leads us into the truth, and, and we have to recognize why, yes, our conscience, and there's conviction there, and, and oftentimes our conscience is right, sometimes it's wrong, but it's the Holy Spirit working with that, bearing on our hearts so that we might turn to Christ and acknowledge the payment and for the penalty of our sin in our lives. Now, the caution for us as believers, though, however, is that our conscience can become dull and our conscience can become calloused and we can disregard that inner voice, if you will, that speaks in our conscience to let us know what is right and what is wrong. The one area that that takes place in our lives as believers is where we want to hold on to something that we know is not pleasing to God, whatever it might be. And we we all have a propensity in some area in our lives that we want to hold on to. And the longer we allow our lives, the longer we engage in that activity, whether it might seem to be a minimal activity or a major activity, our conscience can become seared and hardened to the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 17. He says this, now this I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now here Paul is writing to believers and you might paraphrase that by saying, listen, now that you've been born again, now that you have the Spirit of Christ in you, now that you have Christ residing in your hearts, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You could translate that, their hardness of conscience. In Scripture, those two words are used interchangeably. They're hardened in that, and they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to a former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And you see, if we're not careful in our lives as believers, we're not guarded in the life that we desire to live and walking out in righteousness and holiness, and then all it takes is just one little area, right? that we allow to continue in our lives and over and over a period of time, just like a callus will form on the end of your finger if you play an instrument, that it can be callous so that you no longer have any feeling. And that's the danger that he's warning us about as believers. Now, what do we do when we're convicted? What do we do as believers when we come before the throne? Because many of us have had this instance oftentimes where we come before him to pray and all of a sudden there's that condemnation that, that seems to come. There's that, that condemning spirit, whether it be our conscience or something else, that, that we come before the Lord and we pray. Well, can I give you six quick things that I call the six R's of conviction? Number one is this. 
when we come before the Lord to pray, I'm convinced that oftentimes the thing that keeps most of us as believers of coming before the throne is that we oftentimes feel so unworthy, and in that we do not recognize the grace and the mercy and the power of blood of Jesus that we're able to approach the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. Number one is this. What do we do when we're convicted? Number one is to recognize the sin that may be in our lives in accordance to the Word of God. You see, I find that as believers, oftentimes we, we're good at classifications of sin. We, we have the things that we say we don't do. You know, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't cuss, we don't chew, and we don't go out with women who do, right? But, but it's those other things, the, the little nagging things, I would say, in our lives as believers, oftentimes those are the things that can lead us down to a course and a path to something more severe in our life or cause more damage. And so whether it be in heart and motive, whether it be in attitude, whether it be with the tongue, etc., that we recognize when we come before him. Notice what he says in this verse, verse 19. He says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. You see, John is talking about that time when we've become for him. When we come before him in prayer, in his presence. Going into the presence of God is not like going into the presence of any other person, right? We're going into the presence of a holy God who knows all, who is righteous. And, and when we come before him to, to pause and ask him, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me as David cried in Psalm 51. When the Holy Spirit points it out to us, number one, what we need to do is recognize it and acknowledge it. Recognize it and acknowledge it. Do you have an, a defense attorney on your shoulder like I do? When the Holy Spirit convicts and, and he bears on my conscience, my, my little JMO defense attorney stands up there and pops up and says, but you don't, let me pleading his defense. It's the woman that you gave to him, right? It's her fault. You see, we can rationalize all kinds of things, but what I've learned in my Christian life is that when I try to rationalize, what I'm saying is I want to stay in this sin and Lord, I don't want to turn from it. You see, we have to recognize and acknowledge. Number two, this is the second R, we have to take responsibility for our own sin. And that kind of goes with that defense attorney thing. You see, I and I alone am responsible in my life for my own sin. I've got to own it, right? We can play the blame game. We can do that. Adam tried that in the garden, right? It doesn't work. It doesn't hold water before God. He says, listen, I want you to recognize it, and I want you to take responsibility for it. Then number three, as he's already told us in 1 John, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The third is that we need to repent and renounce of that sin. Repent. Turn from it. Somebody says, well, what happened if, happens if I turn from it today and, and tomorrow I fall to it again? Can I say, repeat the cycle? Repent and renounce it. Number four, and this is big, that, that we need to receive his forgiveness. 
You see, oftentimes it's, it's not that we're hesitant to receive his forgiveness. Oftentimes it's our pride that we hold on to won't allow us to receive his forgiveness because somehow or another we think we're better than, uh, we think we're too good to sin. Does that make sense? You see, we need to receive his forgiveness. And forgiveness can only come from him and him alone. Number five is this, that we need to restore our fellowship with him. You see, we are in relationship to God through Jesus Christ. That's a permanent thing. We become his children. That will never change, right? I've used this illustration before. My son and my daughter, they are my children. The fact that we're in relationship as children, that will never change. However, my fellowship with them can be affected by their actions in their lives, right? And, and when they sin in that sense, while they're still my children, my fellowship with them is strained because there is an act or an attitude that needs to be corrected and, and it puts a strain on that fellowship. Well, it's the same in our lives as believers. That our relationship with God is intact. Thank God for the eternal blood of Jesus Christ. But my fellowship can be broken by repeated and unrepented sin. Number six, last one is this. Resolve in our hearts to rely on the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit not to continue in that particular fashion. You see, the fact is some of us have a hard time of letting go of a guilty conscience. Some of us have a hard time letting go of a guilty conscience. And we don't appropriate by faith what the Word of God tells us as who we are in Christ and the extent of His forgiveness and, our, and His grace in our lives. Look at what he says again in verses 19 and 20. He says, by this we know that we are of the truth. By this is that we love others and, and we reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. He's greater than our hearts and he knows everything. You see, when we're troubled with doubts and self-condemnation, when, when we're having a difficult time receiving God's grace and His forgiveness and letting go, sometimes we have to confront ourselves with the truth of what the Word of God says and who we are in Christ Jesus. James Boyce wrote this. He said, faith being based on knowledge must be fed by it. Faith based on knowledge, and our faith in Christ is not nebulous, but it's based on fact. It's based on knowledge. And sometimes the knowledge of who we are in Christ Jesus, when there's condemnation that comes in and we have a difficult time receiving God's grace and His forgiveness and His favor in our lives, sometimes we have got to reason with our faith and support it and build it with the truth of what God's Word says, who we are in Christ Jesus. You see, even when troubles and doubts and self-condemnation come, we can't focus on that. Rather, we need to acknowledge it, confess it, turn from it, and repent, and walk on and move on in who Christ Jesus 
is and what he has done for us on our behalf. Look at verse 21. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You see, one of the reasons that, that he desires, that he wants, he, he wills, that we not allow our conscience to condemn us is because it keeps us from being in his presence and being in fellowship with him. When you were growing up, did you ever do something that you knew your father was going to be displeased with? Susan, raise your hand real high, okay? <laughs> and, and you know it. Was it easy to crawl up in your dad's lap as long as you had the sense of that guilt and condemnation that was there? It's the same way spiritually. When we sin against God, when, when our conscience bears, bears in, in, in by the Holy Spirit and convicts us of sin, I don't know about you, but it is very difficult for me to feel as though I have worthiness or ability or the reception of the love of the Father to crawl up in His lap. Now, I know the character and nature of my Father, See, I, I know that my father does not want me to walk in unrighteousness. I know that my father does not want me to continue in that area, whether it be an attitude or an action. I know his character. I know his nature. I know the truths of who he is. I know that he is a loving father. I know that he's full of grace, but somehow or another, that condemning spirit comes in and says you have no right to approach him whatsoever the writer in Hebrews tells us this chapter 10 verses 19 to 22 he says brothers since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus you see the only reason you and I have to enter into his presence is because of the blood of Jesus. None of us have in ourselves the ability or the righteousness or the favor from within ourselves to enter into his presence. He says we have confidence that we can enter into his presence. How? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. The writer writes in chapter 4, verse 16, the same book. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Can I tell you this, that confidence in the presence of God is no small matter. And the confidence that, that we 
have. It's not confidence in and of ourselves, but it's confidence in His love. It's confidence in His grace. It's confidence in His mercy. It's confidence in the power and the effect of the blood of Christ, not only to forgive us of our sins, but to remove them from us and enable us so that we might walk in righteousness. You see, that's the confidence that we have before the throne. Sarah reminded me of an incident that took place several years ago. I had a secretary in Florida, and I'm not going to mention her name because she listens to this podcast. She'll know who she is. But I called her my little chihuahua. She was about four foot eight, didn't weigh more than 70 pounds. She was an older lady, but I called her my chihuahua because she guarded my office like a little chihuahua would guard the door, right? You know, a chihuahua, eight pounds, but man, you're not going to mess with the chihuahua. And so early on after I hired the secretary, I, I, I would let her know, listen, I'm, I'm going to be studying or I'm going to be in my office. Will you please not allow anybody to interrupt me while I'm conducting, doing what I'm doing? And she was new, and I don't think that she had met Sarah yet. Maybe she had once, but Sarah comes to, she was in college, and she was home visiting, and she comes to my office, and she just kind of breezes right through Teresa, the secretary, to go to my door. And Teresa steps in and says, no, 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 you can't disturb him. Sarah looked at her and said, he's my daddy. And she walked in my office door. <laughs> you see the picture? You see, the enemy, our own self, a lot of times there are things that want to come against us to condemn us and say, oh, you can't, you can't go to the Father. You can't bother him right now. And Jesus wants to remind us now listen, I've, I've made a way and I've made access for you to come before the Father, to come in the presence of the Father, to worship Him, to, to, to pray to Him, to, to spend time with Him, to enjoy fellowship with Him. And I have made a way, and it's through my blood. And I paid a great price, not only that you could have eternal salvation, but in this life that you might have communion and fellowship with the Father. And the way has been made, and you're a child of His. And listen, acknowledge, but based on the blood of Jesus, go into His presence and enjoy Him forevermore. Amen? You see, this morning... I've wrestled this morning. I don't know what's going on. I, it, I sense that there, there is some, some of us in here this morning that, that are trying to live the Christian life based on your own merit and your own doings and your own righteousness. I love you, but I'm going to bruise you for just a minute. Can I tell you, if that's where you're trying to walk in this Christian life, you're going to fail miserably. If you're trying to live in your own effort, if you, if you're, even if they're the right things that, that you might be doing, if, if you're doing those and somehow or another you have this sense, I'm doing all these right things and therefore I'm qualified to be in His presence, can I tell you that our righteousness is like filthy rags in His sight? We're afraid to come before him in genuineness sometimes, whether it be in corporate worship or in private prayer. Tell him I said hello. <laughs> because we're trying to depend on our own self 
rather than trusting or relying on the blood of Jesus. You see, when we come before Him, and if our hearts, our conscience condemn us, understand, as John says here, listen, if you think your hearts condemn you because you know what you know? Listen, He knows a lot more than you know. Guess what? His grace is still there. Now, the second way we might apply this passage is in this, and I'm going to open this up a little bit more next week. I really struggle with this passage this week. I decided to do it in two weeks rather than one. We know in the letter of John, John is, is speaking because he wants those who are, are, are reading this letter to us today. He wants us to be sure, are we in or are we out? And the other way that we can look at this is that when we attempt to come before the Father and, and, and there's a, in the flesh, and there, there's a condemning, convicting stance there, but we continually ignore that and we never walk in, John is saying, listen, that may be evidence that if you don't trust Christ, you don't love your neighbor, then that may be evidence that you've never been born again and your life hasn't been transformed. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. I would contend that that's the major fruit of the Spirit is love, and it's manifest in all these other ways. And so if there's never been a transformation in our hearts and lives where we once hated, and we claim to know Him, but we still hate, that may be evidence that there has not been a transformation in our life. I'll close with this illustration. Years ago, back in the early 90s, I was in the country of Romania before communism fell and after communism fell, training pastors. And we had gone up to the northern area in Transylvania area to begin to establish a Bible institute there to train pastors. And mind you, who had just come out of communism. And as we began to work with the Baptist pastors in that area, there were the Romanian Baptists and there were the Hungarian Baptists. And the two never convened. And as I, Vanessa, you know very well what I'm talking about. And as I began to talk with these pastors, because we were interested in training pastors, and, and I didn't care if they were Hungarian Baptists or Romanian Baptists, amen? I didn't care if they were Baptists. I just wanted to equip men to, to teach their, their congregation and to make disciples in their congregation. And, and I couldn't get the two to work together. And they said, listen, if you're going to have class in the Romanian Baptist church, the Hungarians would say, we're not coming. And the Romanians would say, if you're having class in the Hungarian Baptist church, we're not coming. And I had an address with the leadership, and I said, guys, I, I've just got to tell you this. And in this particular situation, it had nothing to do with ethnicity. It had nothing to do with race. I mean, they were white Europeans, right? But they hated one another, and they professed to be Christ followers. And I had to have a come-to-Jesus meeting with them. And I said, guys, man, you're giving indication to me that, that all you have is religion, and you have not been transformed by the blood of Christ. Because there's that hate that's still there for those that are other than. And you can put this in whatever context you want. You see, if we've been born again, 
God has poured his love abroad in our hearts, Romans chapter 5. And he has given us that capacity and that ability to love. And John is saying, listen, if you love, then it's evidence that you've had a transformed life. And when you come before the Father in prayer and, and where, where there is that conviction and conscience, acknowledge it, repent it, turn from it, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to empower you to live, to, to get rid of those old ways and be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the Word of God. But examine, because if there's been no transformation, if there's no evidence of love, then you may not be his. You may just be a good churchman or a good churchwoman. You have religion, but not relationship, is what John would say. Here's your assignment for the week. I want every one of us to carve out a time during this week. I don't care when it is, but what, what I want to ask you to do is to carve out a time where you are private. It may be a prayer closet. It may be your car as you're sitting in the parking lot before you go to work. It may be your bedroom. It may be somewhere, but I want to ask all of us to set aside a time this week and come before the Father and say this, Father, I want to approach you right now, and, and I know I can only do it by the blood of Jesus. But if there are any things in my life, attitudes, actions, whatever it might be, that, that is hindering me in fellowship with you, would you reveal it to me right now? Can I tell you a promise? You ask him that, he's going to do it. Apply the six R's. And then I want you to do it the next day. You see, it's, it's when that is cleansed that we're able, he says, and we're going to unwrap this next week, that we're able to ask anything in the name of the Father according to his will, and he will grant it. Father, we love you. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.